0: Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us again. I am JB, Tula and Theo's dad, and it's time now for us to communicate and connect once again. It's September. It is back to school time. The Family Center has been back at school. I'm excited. I'm nervous. I'm nervous and excited. This iteration of returning to school under the COVID-19 cloud, may we all only have to do it once, and this will be it. So today's podcast is a little bit different as the bulk of it, uh, we decided to share the recording of the town hall that was last week, which centered around testing. Safety, health and testing are an enormous question, part of the nerves and excitement of everything that's going on. So we thought we'd share that here in this format. Doug's here to say hello. So we'll say hi to him first, and then we'll get to that town hall. So today is September 7th. This is your Monday Memo.
1: Doug, how are you? Thanks for having me again, JB. Uh, It's good to be back. Um, Yes, it's been uh, quite a lot of work getting ready for school. We're so excited. Um, Faculty and staff came back last week and got straight to work on all our plans. Um, There's so much information we've put out already and so much more to come. Uh, So I think it's a a great idea uh, that you had to um, use this form in the podcast today to ensure that folks have some of the most important health and safety information on, on the testing front. Uh, because this is um, one of the biggest pieces uh, that we have put together later in the summer uh, to keep us safe and healthy this year. We'll have more to come uh, and look forward to uh, connecting with you in a future podcast about all that's happening in the beginning of the year. And, uh, you know, my message to everyone right now is we are all um, super excited for September 9th to welcome back children in person for some of you. Uh, virtually for most of us, but it really will feel like the beginning of the school year, I promise. I'll see you all soon. Thank you so
0: much, Doug. As we all do, get back to school, feel like we're going back to school. For everyone at home, here is that town hall on testing. Tons of info in here. First speaker you'll hear is Shale. Thanks, and we'll see you on Zoom at school or at school.
2: The testing that we're doing covers everyone who's working or learning in person, um, which is why we've opened it up to this broader cross-section of our community. Um, before we dig into sort of how we're doing this and why and, and the details, um, I wanted to just pass it over to Doug, um, our interim head of school for the School for Children, just to share a few comments.
1: Thanks, you. Hello, everyone. I'm Doug Connect, the interim uh, dean of the children's programs and head of school. And I just want to note for um, all of our children's programs communities, just representing also Head Start, um, the director of Willis. I don't think I can here it this evening, that we are still working on our plans to reopen, whether it's the Family Center, the School for Children, and Start. Um, and uh, I'm saying that in uh, relation to the announcement you may have heard from the mayor yesterday about the New York city department of education schools delaying their opening. There's been a number of questions that people understandably have been sending in today is, and, and yesterday evening is this affecting our planning and um, at the moment their challenges that they're trying to solve for do not impact our plans. Um, and so I want to make sure that's clear here and we'll be including that in um, other communications, as it makes sense, and this, you know, whatever happens at the city level, we'll make sure that we're relaying if if it does or if it does not impact our planning. Um, and I'm glad to see everybody here this evening. Um, and just to say that we in the School for Children welcomed back our faculty yesterday. Uh, and uh, it's been exciting and a lot uh, to, to take on to get ready for school opening up next week. And um, uh, this testing piece is a really big part of it. I also want to name uh, that Justin Tyak, our chief operating officer and the leader of the strategy and operations of the college, is here with us. And Justin's going to be moderating uh, and looking at the chat. Um, And Justin, if there's anything you want to say about that, uh, now's the time. If not, we'll get you later uh, when it's time to address questions.
3: Yeah, the only thing I would say is, you know, uh, tonight's session is focused on testing. I will record all the questions. And if we have time at the end to open it up more broadly, we can. Um, but if not if there are questions in here that aren't testing related I will note those and note who sent them and so that we can make sure to get a response for you as well.
2: Great thank you Doug and Dustin. Um, I also um, want to make sure you all know that Robin Taylor who's our school nurse and Dario um, who's um, also going to be working as a nurse this year and has worked with us in the past are also on the call. Um, and they 'll be available to answer questions as we go, um, if you have them and are going to be a key part of this whole program and Amy demadia, who is one of our partners in this effort um, she 's from a doctor, a former parent at the School for children um, and um, works at Westside Pediatrics who's partnering with us on this this testing program so um, in a moment, I'm going to pass it to her to share some thoughts and introduce herself. But let me just begin with kind of a broad overview of why we're doing this and and how we chose the partners that we chose. And then um, I'll pass it to Amy to share some thoughts, and, and then we can dig into some of the questions that people have been sending us. Um, so as you've probably gathered from tracking the news over the past several months. Testing is one of the key tools to controlling um, this epidemic. And part of the reason why it's so important in a school setting is that it's difficult to tell when someone's infectious. Um, Many um, of the cases where people have spread um, COVID-19 have happened either during the phase where they're pre-symptomatic or the phase where they're, they develop very minor symptoms and don't realize that they're sick at all, or maybe don't have any symptoms. And that's, that's actually more common amongst young people. So it's really impossible to tell just by the daily symptom checks that we're doing that we're catching everyone who might be sick. Um, and so that's the reason to do testing regularly. And it's unusual what we're doing. You know, The fact that we're trying to do it twice a week um, and that we're testing everyone is different to a lot of institutions. You, you may have noticed that some of the elite universities around the country are doing something similar. Um, some universities that have developed innovative testing solutions are doing it. Um, some workplaces are doing it where they've been able to figure it out. It's a really complicated thing to to solve for because there's issues related to administering the tests. There's issues related to paying for the tests. There's issues connected to sort of having access to tests on a fast turnaround. And And this is actually, I would say, of all the complex challenges we've been grappling with over the past several months in order to reopen, this is one of the more confusing, complex, and hard ones to solve. Um, but I'm proud that we're actually able to offer this. Uh, I do think it's going to have a really important protective value when you combine it with the really strong improvements we've made to our ventilation system, when you combine it with the daily symptom checks and the careful um, way in which we're keeping people separate unless they're together in a pod. Um the required okay, yeah. masks, Um, all of those things create layers of protection, and none of them are perfect. Um, some of the questions people have asked is, well, you know, you could take a test and then get on the subway and get infected that same day and not realize it, and the test wouldn't pick it up. And that's true. Um, what we know about this virus, though, is that it does take a few days to become infectious and actually to pick up um, on a test that you are infected. And so by spacing it out twice a week, um, we actually create a really good opportunity to catch the vast majority of cases that may come into the community. Um, Hopefully we catch them all. There's no way to guarantee we will. Um, but there there is a dramatic um, protective value to this approach. And so that's why we're doing it. And we've found two primary partners. Um, one is Enzo Labs, which is um, a regional lab that works in the tri-state area and has been doing work testing for all kinds of things um, for close to 40 years. And they they have a program partnering with colleges and schools to do this type of testing um, around COVID-19. And they are unique in that they actually have manufactured their own materials for their test. Um, So they are much less dependent um, on supply chains when you compare them to many of the national labs that have had the serious delays over the past several months. Um, and that was one of the main reasons we picked them is that they, they had that sort of independence, um, and less vulnerability. They're not totally independent. Some of their supplies do need to come from other places, but it's much, much better than most labs in that sense. And they also have the capacity to help with administering the tests. Um, and so the way our testing will work is in general, um, you know, our youngest children will be tested by. Dario and Robin, um, but children starting in kindergarten on up um, and staff will be tested by the medical technicians from Enzo. And sometimes we may make shifts to that just in terms of calibrating timing and 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 so on. But um, that's that's roughly how we've done it. And to do testing, you need um, doctors to prescribe the test and create um, uh, in order for the testing lab to do it. And and that's where the partnership with Westside Pediatrics comes in. And let me thank, first of all, Amy, who's been a long time member of our community for being generous with her time and really being a thought partner with us on trying to design this and also helping us um, partner with Enzo in a way that kind of is smart and, and productive um, relationship. So, Amy, why don't you introduce yourself briefly and just yeah. share a few thoughts before we dig into the questions.
4: Hi, thanks for the introduction. I feel like I know so many of you um, having been at the school for a long time uh, or even sometimes in my practice. I, um, I'm a pediatrician who practices on the Upper West Side uh, at Westside Pediatrics. I've practiced for a while now, almost 20 years, and um, have struggled, have been going to work um, nearly every day since the epidemic began, pandemic began, struggling with how um, to uh, meet this this virus where it is, and it changes all the time. and And at first, we were talking about illness and then a lot of other things and lately it's been really talking about trying to get kids back in school and shale and i spoke a long time ago probably in april or march we began talking about this and what we could do and um we've had a long track we've used enzo labs in our office for a long time they're reliable um we know them to be a great small lab and uh I'm excited about this. I think it's innovative. I think it's creative. Um, I think everyone's going to have to realize what we've all realized is you have to be flexible, that things are going to change. We're going to figure out things we could do better and we'll try to adapt to that. Um, But I'm excited that Bank Street's being uh, creative about this.
2: Thank you, Amy. Um, So I'm going to just, we, we got a lot of questions from, parents mostly um, over the past couple of weeks and most intensely after we announced last week, what we, what our plans were. And so we created a FAQ document, which you may have had the time to peruse, but I just wanted to um, highlight a few key issues around this. Um, and then if there are other questions that you have that aren't addressed by what I share tonight, feel free to put them in the chat. Um, but let me first talk about how we're paying for this. So this is this is both, you know, part of what makes it possible to do it in this way and part of what makes a plan vulnerable over time. Currently, insurance companies are covering the cost of testing. Um, that policy could change at any moment. Um, and so we're trying to take advantage of that policy that's currently in place. Um, And so when we do the testing, um, part of registering is you're giving your insurance information to Enzo so that they can bill the cost of the test. Um, In the event that your insurance doesn't cover it for you individually because of something specific about your insurance, we will cover any costs associated with this. You just need to let us know and, and we will cover that in the event that. There's a big change in policy, which could happen um, along the way that they no longer are covering COVID testing. Um, we're gonna have to revisit the model because part of why we're able to do this as frequently as we are, and we believe that's an important thing from a safety perspective, um, is that insurance is covering most of the cost. Um and so part of part of what we're continuing to research is you know other models that are coming onto the market because the technology is changing, the cost of testing is coming down. Um, and there are other options available that will emerge on a widespread basis, I think over the next six weeks. Um, and we're going to be watching those closely, both in terms of the price for it but also the speed. Um, the turnaround time for these tests are somewhere between 24 and 72 hours. And that is fast relative to what's happening across the country and across the city in many places. But we, we, we know that, that that lag of two days or three days um, could be important in terms of isolating someone. Um, so as more rapid tests Become available and also more accurate because that's the challenge right now with the rapid tests that are available, is that they have less precision. Um, We're going to be looking at that. And so we may make changes in the coming weeks and months as we go. Um, But the thing I want to assure you of is that at no point in this process are we going to be charging staff or families for these tests. Um, The other thing that's come up as a big question is. Um, you know, how are children going to tolerate these tests? Um, because we've all heard a lot in the press, and some of us have experienced um, the nasal pharyngeal swabs, which go back right in through the nasal cavity all the way to the back of the throat. And they're very uncomfortable. Um, we are not going to be using those long swabs, or we're using shorter swabs. And Amy, if you could just Having done this a lot with your own patients um, and worked with Enzo on this, could you just talk a little bit about how the test testing goes, like for mm-hmm. for a child?
4: Absolutely. So this is the testing that we use currently in our office. If somebody asks us to, I need a COVID screen to go back to school, for example. A lot of other schools are asking, we need, you know, show us that you have a negative COVID screen. Um, it is the test we're using if we want to uh, diagnose uh, active COVID infection. So it's the exact same test we're using based on sensitivity, specificity, and quite frankly, tolerance. So um, it's a very na- uh, narrow swab. It's actually not about the length of the swab so much, but it's a very narrow swab. And in my experience... Um, with some knowledge of the kids and some, um, talking to them and, and sort of gentle direction, almost all of them tolerate it really well. There are always going to be kids that don't tolerate any procedure, right? So that's, you know, we can work with, with families to help them, but in general, the idea of it is that you enter the nose without sort of touching any part of the um anterior portion of the nose and then once you meet the the little bit of resistance which is where the the mid nasal region is around here and it's different length for different people if you have a bigger nose if you're an adult versus a kid that's when you swirl it and you can gently swirl and it's uh we we confirm today that it's only one side that needs to be done um and I, I really don't it's completely different than nasopharyngeal swab which is really uncomfortable and um, I think most people feel they say oh yeah it feels like a tickle and can you give me a tissue and they sneeze or they don't sneeze or they feel like they might sneeze and then they go on with their day.
3: So I want to chime in here with a a question that feels like a natural aspect. Um, Is this the same test that was done for three weeks at the family center?
2: Yes. It's a different partner because we were using, we didn't have this partnership fully established, but yes, it's the same test we we're using this summer. Um, and I I too had a three and a half year old taking it. And, you know, it, they, were, they were the first time it was like something that scared her a little bit, but by the second and third time she was really used to it and proud that she was doing it and it never hurt. Um, so I think that, um, it, it's part of the reason we're with the youngest kids. We're we're using our own staff as we want to make sure that the kids have a chance to work with people that they know um, and are really used to working with children in our community. Um, but you know, we've we've been pleased with how it's gone so far. And Amy, one question that just came in uh, is: if a child's
3: prone to nosebleeds, can you sort of talk about that and? In- with regard to the test thing.
4: I haven't really had anyone have a nosebleed after, and I can't say that any of my partners have either, have a nosebleed after the test. This is not, um, this is not a roto-rooter test. This is not like, you know, this is a gentle rotating. This, the swab is flecked, so it has sort of fibers that come out and catch pieces, and the way that this test works. It's called a DNA amplification test. So you need a small amount of the virus um, genetic material, and then they amplify it. So it doesn't have to be gobs and gobs of material. And so I don't think I've had anybody have a nosebleed afterwards. And certainly if somebody did, we can work with them to say, okay, you know, maybe the night before you put a little Vaseline in your nose or, I, you know, what we can work with that. But I haven't had anybody experience that.
2: Um, so, I think one good question is coming from a parent about how we're gonna talk with children um, about this. So we definitely want you to talk with your children um, about this and let them know that this is something that's gonna be part of it. And, um, and I would say, you know, my experience talking with my own child is it's, it's, it's sometimes useful to play also. Um, Like we did some pretend play with her dolls and animals um, and she got more interested in it after um, the first time she did it. Now that's a a three and a half year old, so it's going to be different with kids at older ages. Um, But anyone who's um, coming in this week um, because they're also participating in phase in for the family center or some of our lower school classrooms, um, you also have an opportunity to be there with your child, with the really young kids. Um, and that, that's going to be a chance for you to let them see you do it. One of the things that, as, as I shared earlier, we, we did this for three weeks in the family center, um, in August, and it helped also to see that teachers were doing it too. Um, and, you know, that your friends are doing it and, um, so I think it, it becomes quickly integrated into the fabric and routine um, of, of what kids are expecting.
3: And Amy, another question. Uh, can you talk about whether it is more or less invasive than a, a flu test um, or is it similar to that?
4: Totally similar. I, I would say the, the difference is that, that the flu test is generally a, um, uh, like a sponge swab instead of something that's flecked. And so sometimes it can be firmer, but the location of where you're swabbed, it's it's similar.
3: And then, Shale, an earlier question uh, that was asked was, can you talk about sort of how this will work in terms of the amount of time um, that kids will be dedicating towards testing and or whether or not um, folks administering the test will come into the
2: classroom? Let me pass that to Doug, because I think you have the best sense of the calendar. Do you want to talk to that, Doug?
1: um sure so we are creating um i mean this is one of the reasons we're still working on our schedule um getting this partnership in place we are making sure that we're finding the the times during the week where we can keep uh, children on a, on a schedule that's best in terms of health and um uh catching uh, any potential positive cases and also making sure that we've talked to our leadership team in the school about where we should prioritize trying to schedule in um, the the groups of children in their pods or their classrooms. Um, if there are five sixes and above, it will mean coming into the auditorium and we're going to have this another kind of like space, spatial uh, design that we're having. It's a little bit of a ballet of moving kids in and out of the of the um, uh, auditorium in ways that are is efficient, but also not. You know, so harried that it makes this even you know more anxious potentially uh, for them, and uh, and so this will be built into the schedules of children and the teachers and adults who are bringing them uh, into that space will also be getting tested at the t- same time as our plan, and we're coming up with backup plans for if there are absences or things like that. So we're we're trying to create um, in in all of those spaces. Uh, places for us to also just acknowledge that, you know, the school is school and there's going to be people who miss certain days. And yet we still want to make sure there's ways to catch folks up in the testing. And then for the, we've mentioned um, the five, sixes and up, at least for the school for children and the family center, the younger children will be um, receiving a test directly from nurse Robin and nurse Dario. And they're in, We're planning to have that in their classrooms, but we're also toying with the potential of another room that's um, maybe available based on our programming uh, on one of the lower floors. And then
3: um, a question has come in in terms of, uh, you know, the folks that will be testing multiple people across the college and the contact and sort of the the protocols around changing the PPE between pods or between groups of folks. Um, I don't know, Robin, you actually experienced testing folks today. I don't know if you want to answer this and sort of how you handle the PPE between individuals.
4: Yeah, so um, we'll have eye covering on, masks on, um, gowns and gloves. And um, definitely in between each person that we do, um, the gloves will be taken off. We will be cleaning our hands, putting gloves back on. Um, And definitely if we're in a pod doing testing, um, we would be taking off all the PPE to leave, you know, after we've done the testing and before we would go into another pod.
3: And then what will happen to kids with positive results? And what is the false positive rate for the ENZO test?
2: So if you're positive, um, you need to be isolated immediately um, and quarantined. And that quarantine lasts for 10 days if there are no symptoms or the symptoms resolve within 10 days. Um, and If the symptoms extend further, you need to wait until um, you've completely been fever-free. Robin, remind me, is it 24 or 72 hours? I know that's changed recently.
4: Um, It's 24, um, but isolation and quarantining are a little bit different. So if you're a positive test, you're isolating, um, and it's 10 days. If you're a contact of someone, it's, um, it's 14 days from the last time you had contact with that person.
2: So Um, let me just explain why that is, um, because this is something that's confused me along the way. Um, What the CDC has said in, in sort of their policy around isolation, and this has also been confirmed by the New York state um, and New York city departments of health is that if it's a, A case of COVID that's either mild or moderate and the symptoms resolve relatively quickly, you can't be infectious for more than 10 days. Um, There are very severe cases where um, you could be infectious for longer, but in that instance, your symptoms have not resolved. So that's why there's a 10-day rule for folks who've tested positive. For people who have been exposed to someone who's tested positive, so if someone in a child's pod tests positive um, we will quarantine that pod and the rule for quarantine is based on again city and state department of health guidelines and what that says very clearly is that if you've been within six feet um, for more than 10 minutes of someone who tests positive you need to quarantine and the reason why that is 14 days is because You can develop symptoms and infectiousness um, up to 14 days after being exposed. Um, so if you think about um, the progression, you know, the 10 days are once you have it, when do you stop being infectious? Um, the 14 days are what's the time in which you could become infectious after being exposed? And so you can't actually test out of a quarantine situation. You know, just have to wait those 14 days. Um, and with groups of kids that um, are quarantined over the course of the year, if that happens, you know, that group would move online during that period and everyone who's healthy would, would continue to learn online during that period.
3: And Shail, uh, just a related question here. It, will there be subsequent testing in the case of a positive test result to rule out a false positive?
2: Um, yeah. So here's the thing about PCR tests is one of their benefits is that they're very sensitive. And that's also can be a problem. If you had COVID at some point in the, in recent months, you may or may not know that you had it, um, depending on whether you got sick from it. Um, you could test positive and it's not because you're infectious now, but because you still have some of the RNA in your system. Um, and that can stay in your system for several months after being infectious and well after you're no longer infectious, but could still show up as a positive test. So the reason we're doing this initial screen um, is actually to try and identify, one, anyone who's currently positive, but also anyone who may have had it and didn't realize it and is testing positive. Because during this initial screening phase, we aren't going to have to quarantine people. Um, because it's, you do this before you enter the community. Um, and so once you've sort of had a negative test, um, it's very unlikely that you're going to have a false positive. Um, the false positives that you may have heard or read about in, in the media are primarily with antigen and antibody testing. Of course it's possible. Um, but the chances are very, very, very small, um. And it's much more likely that what is effectively becomes a false positive is a, a result of someone who was previously infected and didn't realize it. And so, you know, in that situation, you would work with your healthcare care provider. Um, you'd probably get another PCR test. You'd probably get an antibody test um, and try to reach a conclusion on, on what's actually happening um, for you. Um, and once that conclusion is reached, um, then... We'd work with you on that.
3: And a, another sort of interrelated question here is: uh, under the new sick policy, if a child develops a fever, they can't return to school until they have a negative COVID test. Is the interpretation? And a question of whether that test can be done with Enzo at school or whether they need to be tested elsewhere.
2: So that's not quite right. Uh, you you could have symptoms of COVID and fever is one of the potential symptoms um, and you could wait till the symptoms abate and then return to school. Um, And so you don't have to be tested if you have symptoms of COVID. Um, If you are tested, that is another way that you could return to school provided you're symptom free. Um, And if you're working with your physician or your child's pediatrician, um, and they give a recommendation that this is something different. It's not COVID. Um, then you could also return to school. Um, we aren't going to be able to test folks who are, um, in, in our building who are, um, currently expressing symptoms that could be COVID. Um, so you would have to work with your doctor if you wanted to get a test during that,
3: that period. And just just to clarify very clearly, Shale, um, at the end of the quarantine period, is the negative test required to rejoin the community? Or if after the 14 days, are they able to join without having a negative COVID test?
2: You, there's not a COVID test required after the 14 days. Okay. Thank
3: you. Um, there are a number of questions around the data and how this will be used. Uh, I'll answer that and then you should chime in if you know something different. but. Uh, pursuant to our contract with Enzo, our, we or a memorandum of understanding, they are not allowed to use the data for any purposes without direct authorization and consulting with us and with you. Um, so as of right now, the data won't be used for any purpose unless legally required um, to be reported somewhere. Um, and tied to that, there's a the question of does a positive result have to be reported? In my impression, Amy, need to clarify here, but I, I think we have to report it to the Department of Health, correct?
2: Yeah. You know, our, our process, if someone tests positive is obviously you're going to have access to this data as well through a direct link to the ENZO portal. Um, and so will we. And, you know, we'll be in direct communication with you immediately once, you know, either whoever sees it first will be in touch. Um, Robin's going to be reviewing this data on a daily basis. Um, Dr. Damati and her partners are going to be checking on it as well, and obviously you'll have access to it as well. Um, but once we have a positive case, we do need to do contact tracing, and we'll do. We've Robin and several other staff on our team have been ta- trained to do contact tracing, so we will do that immediately and very quickly within the school community. But the Department of Health also has to do its contact tracing, which may extend beyond the school community and. So they need to be notified and that process needs to begin. Um, and they, our experience from what we've learned um, in the past months is that it's not nearly as fast as what we can do, which is why we've built our own capacity. We did have one staff member who we communicated about earlier this summer who tested positive. Um, this was a staff member who was not in close contact with children or folks working with children, but um, was in close contact with other staff members, um, at bank street. And so there was a handful of people that we needed to quarantine in that instance. And we worked with the department of health on that. And they, we did our own contact tracing quickly to make sure we were quarantining the right folks within our community. And then they did their own contact tracing beyond bank street.
4: Can I, can I add something, which is that if there's a positive test, and Robin and um, and Dario and my partners and I, we've talked about this, any positive test will get a direct call from one of us. So I, in, in answer to the question of what happens with that, so that first and foremost, the issue of um, safety of your child or you being all right, is your health okay? That's our job, and we will take care of that, too, um, and then direct your care. I mean, the, the, the first thing is going to say, do you have a pediatrician? Do you have a you know doctor you should be in touch, but also to talk about how you're doing and all of that. So anybody who tests positive will need a call from um, either myself or one of my partners.
3: Um, Amy, I hear the question for you. Someone had a test earlier this week, and their nose is still sore two days later. Is that normal?
4: I have not had anyone say that about it after I do the testing. I don't know. Uh, I would say it's not typical.
3: Um, In terms of there are some questions about the portal cutting off the time slots. Um, We are aware of that The development that sort of happened this afternoon. So if you're having problems with that, email the testing email address that has been circulated and we will respond to that getting you lined up um, with additional information.
2: Can I just add one thing to that? Um, Yeah. After this first round of testing, it's not going to have to be scheduled in the Enzo portal. It'll be built in the the schedule for for staff and students. Great.
3: Um, And then, Shail, can you talk about caregivers doing drop-off and pick-up and whether they need to be tested or not?
2: No. The the only folks who are being tested are children and staff who work in the building. there's one instance where that's a little different, which is right now where we have a, a, a number of parents who are going to come for a one-on-one visit with their teacher and child as part of the phase-in process in our earliest um, classrooms, so in the family center and in and parts of the lower school. But after this week, parents will not be tested, caregivers will not be tested, um, and, and won't be able to come into the building at all um you know all of the drop-offs and pick-offs are going to happen outside and related
3: to that to help children drop, will a parent be permitted to join their child during the first test prior
2: to phase-in or in-person attendance for parents that are doing this phase-in process um, next week in the family center and head start and lower school yes um but not not for older kids um,
3: and how similar or different is this testing protocol and method compared to other independent schools in the city?
2: I mean, the most common thing is is actually no testing. The next step up from that is entry screening, um, which is sort of what we're doing right now to make sure no one comes into the community initially with that. Um, there are some schools that have also set up the capacity to test symptomatic cases that emerge. Um, there are very few schools doing regular surveillance testing in the city because it's, as I shared at the beginning, very complicated to do. Most of the places that are doing it, um, are larger institutions like universities and some workplaces. Um, but, you know, it's our belief that that is largely a function of cost and complexity as opposed to a considered decision around health. Um, and, you know the research on this is pretty clear that a program like this has the potential to remove roughly 70% of the potential infectious cases that might enter um the building over the course of of this year which is not 100% um, you know to get to 100% we'd have to be doing it every single day but it is a dramatic reduction um over just doing it once um where basically you know, you might catch 5% of the cases. So we really strongly believe that this is one of the most important safety measures you can do if you can figure out how to do it. And, um, you know, it remains to be seen if we can sustain this um, moving forward, you know, this is a complicated thing to do. And so we're hopeful, but we, we're we gonna have to be flexible and, and sort of adjust mm-hmm. as we go. Great, um, So another question, if a child's already getting a
3: test regularly from another source like their pediatrician um, and getting PCR tested regularly and are doing so within a few days of coming to school um, and would prefer to not have to come in for yet another test, will that suffice?
2: Yeah, so for entry into the school, um, you're welcome to provide a test to us. Just email it to Nurse Robin um, if you're in the School for Children or Family Center, or um, to the Head Start program if you're in that program. Um, it needs to be within seven days of starting school, and it needs to be a PCR test. Um, if if you want to keep doing that over the course of the year, as long as you're doing it twice a week and you're sharing the results with us, that's fine. Um, you can do it with another provider um, if that's more comfortable for you. And to clarify, Shale, it's a PCR test?
3: Um, An antigen test or a rapid test is not acceptable for those purposes, correct?
2: Correct. So antigen tests or rapid tests are becoming more and more common. They are a really powerful diagnostic tool. Part of why they're good is that they're fast. You can get the results in 15 minutes. Um, But one of the reasons that they're faster is that they're less precise. And so where the PCR test catches 98% of the cases, the antigen tests often are more in the 70s. They're getting better. um, And I think that it's something we're watching closely because it may actually be a tool that we want to consider using a little bit further along once we see more data on how they're performing. Um, But at this point, we're requiring a PCR test. And then a few questions here about the sort of protocols and rules we're following
3: about positive cases that would result in not closing the school for two weeks or individual classes, um, as well as sort of whether or not we will continue to report out the way we did with the staff member recently when there is a positive case. So
2: our plan is we will initially close for 24 hours if we have a positive case that's going to allow us to do contact tracing. Um, and to make sure that we do sufficient cleaning. And then we will quarantine those that had close contact, which means that they were within six feet for more than 10 minutes, Um, and we will reopen. The circumstance that would lead us to close the whole school um, is if we identify multiple cases in the school and we believe that they may be spreading within the school. Um, that would be the circumstance that we would close the whole school. So we have a chart that we're link, we are we linked to in our reopening plan that is based on the Department of Ed's guidance around this. If you want to look at that, that's sort of a useful reference. It's not the letter of the law in the sense that this is a decision we'd make in collaboration with the Department of Health um, and their contact tracing efforts and ours. Um, but, you know, we're we will be very cautious, we're going to lean on the side of being overcautious. And definitely one of the risks of doing frequent testing is that we will find more cases than places that aren't doing any testing at all. And so that could mean that groups have to move to remote or we have to move completely to remote at some point. Um, But, you know, our, our priority first and foremost is to stay safe and to keep everyone in the community as safe as we can. And so we are and pretty much every factor um going above and beyond um what most other places are doing with that in mind and I think that that is that doesn't reduce all of the risk but I think it significantly reduces the chance that there's any spread within our building one of the things that the department of health said to me when we had this first case in august um is you know it given that folks are living in different communities around the city um, and have different experiences and, and sort of personal tolerance for risk, it's possible that you're gonna have a case. The thing that you as an institution need to do is make sure that there's no transmission within your community. And that's what all of this is about. It's to make sure that there's no transmission, you know, preventing as many cases as we possibly can from coming into the building but also having really, really strong measures in place um, in the event that one slips through um, to prevent any tr- transmission in school. Great. And Shale, what about
3: the will we announce again, like we did this time around communications and let folks know?
2: Yes, we will definitely let everyone know whenever we have a case. We can't, help, and can, we can't say the name of the person um, or create an identifier that would lead people to figure out the name of the person. We want to protect um, and are required by law to protect um, that confidentiality. But what we would say in the event that someone in the community was a close contact based on our contact tracing, we would say you've been identified as a close contact for someone who's tested positive. Um, but we won't ever be able to say their name um, or share something that would lead you to figure out their name.
3: And then the a um, the question about can more than one parent participate um, in the initial test, you know, for the purposes of the phase-in or is it limited to one parent? It's one parent per child. Um, and then some questions about when we'll sign up for the first test to go out to parents. Um, so this is sort of based upon the phase-in plan uh, of when things are opening. So the first test will be for the week prior um, to that first week of in-person attendance. So right now, you know, we are currently scheduling, and this week we'll be testing the students that are in person next week, and we'll sort of go on that way. So, for the upper school, it'll be the week prior. The test will happen the week prior to that first week of in-person attendance, and notification to sign up will be the prior week. So, it'll sort of be the same scaffolded schedule as the phase and process. Um, a question about um, getting it prior to the school start school year? Yes, um, we will provide a test to every student um, the week prior to their in-person attendance. So that is required prior to coming back to school. Um, If folks are not in the city or need to provide testing another way, we will take valid PCR tests from within seven days of that first day of attendance. Um,
2: Justin, can I just answer a question I saw a couple times in the chat, which is around is Enzo going to be doing research using our data? And I know you partially addressed this earlier, but let me just be crystal clear. None of our data is being used for research at all. And we have a contract with Enzo that states that, and they have to ask permission from Bank Street, and we will not give permission for any of this data to be used for research purposes. Great. And then, is everyone who
3: works in the school, i.e. janitor security, also being tested twice a week? And the answer to that is yes. Um, anyone that will be coming into a Bank Street facility on a regular basis um, will be tested as part of our testing program across the board. Um, how will contact outside of school be? So I think, I think Doug, this is in relation to some of the questions I know you got too of, you know, sort of social interactions in and out of school compared to the pods and how do we do that?
1: Great. Yeah. I mean, we've included language in the family handbook. It's a long document, so I want to try to summarize here. Um, in the same way that we did in our community agreement that we're expecting everyone to sign before coming into school, uh, and that is that we expect, uh, you know, parents and families to be following the same kind of guidelines that we're um, implementing in school, which is to stay away from unsafe activities that would bring children across pods together in close proximity um, in, in ways where this, uh, you know, the virus could be exchanged. Now. There are moments like if a carpool is one of them where members of our community may be in in closer proximity than we would want for a duration of time. And um, we're, we're willing to talk through with folks how best to approach those situations. But we would like for people to we prefer for people to try to avoid them. Um, so a carpool, for example, windows down, even if it's cold, even if it's wet, that's how people are going to and masks on. Um, That's how people are going to remain as safe as possible if there is some sort of intermingling. And I'm thinking also about the adults in our community as well. It's not just about children. Um, And so the things that we're sharing with you tonight are the ways that we're thinking about protecting every member of our community, Head Start, as we've mentioned, um, the the custodial staff, everybody uh, from kids to parents, uh, sorry, kids to teachers, to all the rest of the staff. Um, in terms of play dates and things like that, if you have explicit questions or scenarios, you should send them to me, your division head. We can talk you through them. We've been doing that already the last week or so.
3: And then we have a question that I think we probably want to have clear answers from Head Start, from Sarah, from Jeanette and from Doug on is if a parent decides to hold a child home until things are more clear, will they lose their seat at Bank Street?
1: I'm not I'm not sure what more clear means, but I I'm assuming it means folks are feeling like it's not safe enough to have their children come right. to school. yet. Yeah? OK. In person. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, in person. I mean, there's we should have a conversation. It's not about necessarily losing the seat, but there, we have not been able to say that we can switch somebody into an at home program or make virtual learning um, work for that family. and. And so there's a question about lost educational time. And I mean, there's just like a lot of ramifications I feel like um, that I'd want to talk to the parent about under those circumstances. But, you know, each individual case could be different, so. Great. And Doug and
5: Jeanette, did that same approach apply to the Family Center? Yeah, that would, the same would apply to the Family Center. Okay. And Sarah, for Head Start yeah for us
4: uh we are certainly accommodating and open to anyone's idea of their program
2: okay just um, nice, one question about drop off someone had asked how's it going to work for the family center kids um given you know the complexity i assume is behind the question of of um, doing drop off with so many folks arriving at the same time, Doug and Jeanette, do you want to just speak briefly um, to that?
1: Sure, I'll just start more broadly. We've scheduled the family center before the drop off of other children uh, for the the older children, and the next set of children coming in, sort of in the same lobby entrance as the family center that we've created, are the youngest youngest children, um, kind of similar age, threes, fours, fives. Um, uh, so even if there is some you know, um, lingering, entering from one group from the family center in the beginning of the next for the school for children, it will be a similar kind of process and group of children. But I don't know, is there anything else more specific you want to say about your thinking of drop off?
5: I don't think there's much more to add. I just will we'll be sharing more information with the Family Center parents about what drop off will look like. Those of you who are with us during August, the August time we spent together sort of already have an idea of how it worked. Obviously, it's gonna look a little bit different when we have so many more children, but like Bob said, there'll be a staggered arrival time. So we'll be sharing more information with you about that, but we feel pretty confident that we have a handle on how to get the kids into the building before lots of other children arrive.
3: And then um, there are additional comments and questions here of, um, you know, folks don't yet have the phase-in schedule, so they don't know which parent will be able to accommodate the child for phase-in, and so are, are sort of asking to be reconsidered of confirming both parents can be tested since they won't know who is joining the child in phase-in.
1: Yeah, we're we're trying to get this information out as soon as possible. so. Um, Justin, let's touch base on this question after this. Opinion. Okay. I, I,
5: I can just add from the family center perspective, we have shared our phase-in schedule. So if anybody's still confused about their phase-in schedule, just email me and we can talk about it.
2: Okay. Yeah, I mean we're obviously if 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 our process has led to a situation where you you have a conflict because you didn't know when the phase-in would be, we will definitely allow both to be tested. Um, You know, we we are trying to get this out imminently, Then, Okay. Um,
3: There are some other questions that we can follow up on that are not testing related, around scooters, around lunch, Um, and then there are some questions of whether we have guidance or advice around the subway or bus, um, and traveling that, um, in terms of the, you know, how to keep folks safe and how that intersects
1: with our community agreement. Um, I mean, I'm happy to say that our, you know, from our community agreement perspective, we recognize that people are gonna have to get to school in different ways. And we ask that they keep in mind the safest ways to do that. And we can help people through what those look like based on what the, I was mentioning carpooling earlier, Um, you know, what that looks like. There's hygiene, you know, there's ways to try to be as hygienic as possible around those processes and there's also challenges that we're gonna face as the as more and more people start using the public um, transportation system in the city this fall. So if folks wanna talk more specifically, again, we can, we can address individual questions based on individual commuting paths. Um, we also have some families that are asking for carpooling options or connecting to other families and finding out how they're getting to school or walking to school with other families. So we're working through some of those as well.
3: The email from Inza was a little confusing. I think we would all acknowledge that, and there are some folks that have registered for tomorrow, but actually should not be registered until the following week. Um, and so we are working to build out the schedule now um, to, to roll that out so that folks in the middle school can schedule for next week. Um, in terms, we're finalizing those days and the administrators on that. Um, what I would ask is that if you have registered um, and realize now that it was sort of an inappropriate registration in terms of the grade level, if you can please email the testing email address um, and flag that so that we can free up that slot um, for someone else, we'd really appreciate that and then we will get you a new schedule with that testing for the following week. In terms of the lunch questions, we are rolling out the lunch program. Um, it may have even gone out tonight. Why we've been on this, I'm not sure. Um, but imminently, and so I've taken down names uh, that have asked those questions, and we'll make sure to have that information for you in the next day. Um, Here's the question. Do we have any policy on organized youth sports if they are allowed to restart in New York City this fall?
1: We are not currently planning to have youth sports. Um, We do not see a safe way to do that, so our policy is that we will restart it when we think that it can be done safely.
3: And Doug, what if they participate in youth sports that aren't associated with Bank Street? Do we have a policy of asking them to not participate?
1: Um, we, are, we are not in the, we cannot tell people what to do. I want to keep reiterating this outside of school, but we are we're absolutely underlining and underscoring our hope that people will look at the way that we are putting procedures and policies in place in the school to keep everyone safe and do their very best to adhere to those after out of school time.
2: And I just clarify again, because I know some people joined later and we talked about this earlier in the meeting. Um if you're getting a message um that says that there's no testing dates and you're meant to be tested this week, um there we will make a space for you. You just need to email our testing at Bank Street email address and let us know. Um and um for people that are going to be coming in middle school or the upper school and in, in subsequent weeks, um, we will be opening updates for that shortly so you won't see them yet um, but stay tuned we'll let you know once they're open and then you can register uh, I just want to be respectful um, you know in terms of time we said this would be an hour so we need to wrap up. Um, Please, if you haven't had a chance to take a look at the FAQ we sent around, and we also encourage you to continue to email us questions and we'll keep updating, um, those, those answers on that FAQ, or if it's an individual question, we'll follow up directly with you. Um, so. And to clarify, Shay, I'll send those questions to testing at bankstreet.edu, right? Yep. And. That, that account is being looked at closely multiple times a day. So, you know, you'll get a response quickly if it's a, if it's a time sensitive question. Um, and if it's not, um, you know, we'll, um, back you through the FAQ. So thank you again, everyone, um, for all of the work, um, on our staff to get this in place. And thank you to our families and to the children um, for sort of working with us. It's a complex and difficult thing, but we really believe it's important and will be a key way to make sure our community is safe. Um, So looking forward to seeing everyone in person in the coming days and weeks and have a good evening.